welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture, meaning all topics are fair discussion, including TV, movies, music, sports, video games. All of it is discussed on this podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, Survivor 41 is here. Survivor is finally back. I've got thoughts on the premiere episode. Big Brother 23 is down to the final three. The Wonder Years, the reboot, has premiered. I've got thoughts on that as I watched it last night. One Tree Hill Day is today, and some other things, so let's get right into it. Survivor is finally back after a year and a half shut down due to the pandemic. Survivor 41 returned on CBS last night. A very fun premiere. I really enjoyed it. This is the new era of Survivor here, and we saw it immediately with the cast. This is a very diverse cast, which is excellent, very awesome, and I really like this cast just off the first episode here, and then also with the interviews and everything that we've gotten leading up to this season. So we have that. And also, there's going to be some new twists, going to be some kind of changes to the game as part of this new era as well. So I'm just going to kind of hit over the main points of the episode here. It was a two-hour premiere last night. At the beginning, Jeff Probst talks to us. You know, we see him on the island. He's talking to us at the beginning saying, I've missed you guys. I've Happy to have you back. And, you know, he tells the story of what the game is going to be. Of course, we're back in Fiji. This is, as I talked about on a previous podcast, this is going to be a faster-paced game of 26 days as opposed to the 39 days that Survivor usually is. He says the cast has been quarantined and they've been cleared to play. The game is shorter but tougher we're going to have smaller tribes, no rice, you have to earn everything. So that's going to be a big deal that we're going to find out right away. One thing that I really noticed with this episode right off the bat, and we saw it throughout, the production style of this is very different. They, You can tell they're really trying to freshen this up and make it look different. And I really liked it. It was just because it was just so different, it really grabbed your eye as far as like the editing and they had like the dramatic close-ups and they were really making it look very movie-like with how they were producing it. And also like one thing that we've, I can't think we've ever really seen this. And if we have, it's been very tiny, but we were seeing behind the scenes footage too. Like we're seeing the crew as well. And that made me wonder if that was like a Jeff Probst call to where, you know, during the shutdown with the pandemic to where they couldn't produce Survivor, that maybe Jeff Probst is wanting to get some eyes on their amazing crew that they've got too, to where it's like, this is, you know, to where you see it is like, this is a big, it's not just the cast. This is a big group of people that put this show on and we want to be able to show them as well and show what they can do, and show what goes into making this show that you love such a big deal, and what it takes to put it together. 
So there were several shots in this premiere where they're showing like the crew behind the scenes and you see camera people. And so I don't know if that's something that's going to continue through the season or not, or if it was just kind of something to be as kind of a welcome back to Survivor and just, you know, to show the whole presentation, the overall look of what it takes to put this show together. And one thing that they did also with the editing we got a lot of introduction to the players that we have not gotten in the past. We're seeing like footage with them, with their families, you know, like phone footage and stuff like that, where we're seeing like their home life. That's something we haven't gotten in Survivor that I can ever remember. It's always just, you know, we see them arriving on the boat and here they are telling their story and in their interview and these close-ups on them as they travel through the water, you know, and things like that. This is the first time I can ever remember them showing footage from their home life, you know, so that was something really cool too, because that's something we haven't really seen much with Survivor. So the production style of this premiere was very telling and very noticeable. So as far as the game and how this all starts, we see the teams arrive on the barge, of course, Jeff and everyone, they're just super excited to be back there. And he kind of does a reintroduction of Survivor, moving it into this new era. And we get some of the stories of these players with these intro packages that I was talking about, including Sarah, where she's talking about that she lost her grandma to COVID last year and how her grandma loved Survivor and that they would watch it together. So she was so excited to be there and play for her and kind of live this dream out. And we see Brad who talked about that he had lost his dad to cancer. And I believe he said that he had lost him a week before he left for Survivor. So man, I mean, it's like everybody has a story, you know, everybody has a story. We see JD who he is the first Survivor contestant born after Survivor had premiered in 2000. So he, when I heard that story, it's like he's basically the Hannah of Survivor, to where we had Hannah in Big Brother this year, and she was the first Big Brother contestant to be born in the 2000s. So it's like JD is the Hannah of Survivor, to where he is the first contestant born after Survivor premiered, it's it's wild. I mean, it's 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 like a next generation that's playing this game. It's it's very very cool, very very cool. And I like JD a lot. I'm gonna talk about him later on as we go go along in this. So they tell them, you know, Jeff says, you know, the game is gonna be shorter. The cast is going to be divided into three tribes of six. We have the Luvu tribe the Ua tribe, and the Yazzie tribe. I hope I got all those names right. A lot of times I get these tribe names mixed up with how to pronounce them. I think I got them right, though. So Jeff tells them there's only going to be one flint, one pot, one machete, and no food source. So the first task is going to determine who gets that. One tribe will get those things. The others get nothing, a whole lot of nothing. So they have to find all six paddles on the boat throw them into the water, jump in the water, paddle your boat out to a spot in the water, and then return to win. Now, Yazi, amazingly, they can't find their sixth paddle on up on the barge. They never get into the water, which is something that's never happened in Survivor history. 
Luvu, they get into their boat in the water, but they forget to release the back of their boat. So it's stuck and they're paddling and they're actually not going anywhere, but they don't realize they're not going anywhere. And then when they do, they're like, what's the deal? They can't figure it out. So Ua, that tribe there is the only one that does anything and they just dominate and win. So all the tribes are sent to their beach. The two losing tribes, they get a challenge immediately on the beach to where you can choose Savvy or Sweat. Now, if you complete it, you get tribal supplies. If you pick Savvy, you have to guess how many triangles are in this drawing, but you only get one guess. So if you're wrong, you lose. You have one chance at it and you're done. So with Sweat, you choose two of your tribe to fill two barrels of water and, they are, and then they'll have to go back and forth getting water out of, out of the seawater and then, you know, carrying it back and forth. And they have four hours to complete it. So who will do it? Well, that one thing is for sure, and that was that David, in his interviews, did not want to do it. And his point was a great point. He said that he did not want to be isolated away from the majority of the camp to where it's in that crucial early game to where discussions are going on and bonds are being formed. And he doesn't want to be stuck out there with two when the majority of the four is still back at camp. So, of course, what ends up happening is you have Xander next to him and says, I'll do it. Yeah, I, I've got this. And he basically nudges David like, yeah, me and you can do it, right? We could, we could do this. And David, of course, he can't say no. So he gets stuck doing something that he just completely did not want to do. So... For the other tribe, Danny and Deshaun are the ones that do it for that tribe. Now, some drama ends up happening here when they get about, I don't know, halfway through, quarter of the way through, something. Anyway, any a decent amount into the task, they decide to start looking for a hidden immunity idol and just to see if there's any around. And when they were doing this, I thought they would get in trouble time-wise with just how much struggle that the other tribe was having, apparently with the edit, with the edit anyway, it appeared that they were having trouble to where they might not get this done in time, that they were really going to have to push themselves hard to make sure they finished it in the four hours. That's the way the edit kind of made it look. So I'm thinking, I don't know if this is such a good idea, you guys, to be... Uh, looking for this immunity idol, what if you don't get done? And then what's your excuse, you know? So they end up doing that, but they end up being caught when uh, Nasir, he goes to get wood at one point, and he notices that they, he doesn't see them on the task. He's like, well, where are they? And he looks around, he sees that they are looking for immunity idols. So, one thing that Nasir had said back at camp when they split up for this task, he said, look, I just think it's fair with those two being over there doing that, doing that task that we don't do any strategy talk because it's just not fair with them being gone. No strategy talk until they get back. So when he arrives back at camp, he's like, well, forget this. This is off. Because they're doing, they're clearly doing strategy and game stuff over there, looking for the, looking for any hidden immunity idols. So he is going to tell 
tell the rest of the tribe, hey, they're looking for immunity aisles. I know we weren't going to say we weren't going to talk strategy, but hey, they did it first, basically. So that's off now. Now, Sydney, she is going to take the information back to Danny and Deshaun when they get done with the task. They did get done with the task. Everybody finished and they were done. So everybody succeeded. And she told the information to them. And they're like, well, okay, that's something we need to keep an eye on. So here's where the next twist arrives. Each tribe must pick a member to go to an undisclosed place. Danny volunteered for Luvu. Xander is volunteered for Yazi because they saw him as trustworthy on that, hey, we believe that when he gets back, we trust him that he'll tell us what actually happened. He's not going to try to fool us. And Ua, they decide to draw rocks to decide who goes. And JD ends up being the one that draws the rock and he ends up going. So all three are on boats. They're going to this undisclosed location. They arrive and the sign says, go to the top of this hill and get to, but get to know each other along the way. So they all talk together and walk and go up to the top of this elevation. As they get there, they're told that they will have all have a separate decision to make when they to make and then they will go back to their tribes. Now, they all talk about at one point all about making the same decision like that way we all know what everybody did and we're all in the same boat. And that's what they were talking about doing. What it ends up being is it's a risk your vote or protect your vote. It's like a prisoner style game to where if everyone protects their vote, if everyone decides to protect their vote, you keep your vote. If you choose to risk and everyone else risk, everyone loses their vote. Now, if they mix where one protects, one doesn't, it'll change. This was extremely confusing to watch. And it's something, like, even when I was trying to figure out how to describe this on the podcast, I was having a hard time. On TV, it was just such a hard thing to follow. It, I don't know. It was very confusing. And I've even, like, I had somebody, like, I was watching a podcast earlier, and they were describing it, you know, very very slowly, very, like, matter-of-fact, and even then, it was still trying to go over my head. So it's, this was a twist that they put in here, but it was a very confusing twist that was hard to follow. So I wasn't really very crazy about this twist just because it was a lot. It was a lot to just process. It's just confusing, just confusing. So when they get back... We had the presentation of like all of them where, of course, they get back to their tribes. and They're like, what happened? And the only one, all the tribes seemed to buy what they were being told, which everybody was honest. Nobody lied. Everybody went back to their tribes and told the full story of what happened. But the only team, the only tribe that didn't seem to buy it was JD. And Ricard was like, in his interviews, like, I don't believe anything he said. <laughs> like... But I think one thing that didn't help JD was that JD was very overdramatic and he was like building the story. Like we were going down the water and the, I looked over and the wind was blowing through all of our hair. And it was just that kind of a deal there. 
where he was just being so overdramatic, like building it up. And they were, the edit even made it look like where they're just sitting there like, okay, let's, let's get to the point of the story. We don't need all this build up. And he's like, I was the first one up the hill, you know? And he just, JD, I like JD a lot. He's got like this young, happy to be here energy. And he's just so pumped to be there. And, but it was, I think with the way he presented it, I think he just took too long to tell it to where the story was too much and then that they didn't believe it. So we get to the first immunity challenge. There will be one winner. Two losing tribes will send will be sent to tribal council, meaning we're going to get two people voted out on this premiere. So we are right off and running on this is going to be a faster game because we're going to lose two people right off the bat here. Now, Luvu, in this challenge, they messed up early on and got themselves way behind, but they actually came back to win in an awesome comeback. Now, Sarah struggled with the puzzle, and she beat herself up quite a bit, saying one thing she didn't want to do was to be... She had told herself that she was so, she didn't want to be someone that did a puzzle. She didn't want to be put in that position because often if the puzzle person messes up and costs them, it's an easy way to vote somebody out. And often the puzzle person will get voted out because of that. Now this gets us to another twist. There's a lot of twists. I wasn't sure if I liked this many twists this soon. It just, it felt like a lot. This episode just felt like a lot of twists to keep up with and follow. And I guess maybe because the game's so much faster, maybe this is why it just felt like we were getting so many twists shoved at us so quickly. Uh, there's something called the shot in the dark die. Basically, each player is going to get a die. If someone feels in danger of being voted out, they can give up their vote for that tribal council and they can play the die. Then they reach into the bag and they have a and they'll pull something out and they have a one in six chance of safety. So if you feel like you're gonna get voted out and you just you're like, I'm done, you know, they can go in here and they can pull out for a one in six chance that hey, they could pull something out for safety and they end up saving themselves at a tribal council if they knew that they were done with so that their game was over. I don't know. It, every person's going to get a die. So I don't know. It was it was a lot of twist. I you know, whatever with that one. This one was at least easy to follow. The previous one with the protector vote, savior vote was making my brain scramble. <laughs> So at least I could follow this one. And this is somebody that's watched Survivor, you know, since the beginning season. So it's, uh, yeah, it was kind of kind of difficult to follow. So now we get to who's going to get voted out here. Discussion at camp between Yazzie revolves around which way to go on this vote. And Abraham is very big on wanting to vote out Tiffany to keep the tribe strong as he saw her as a weak, weak link in the tribe. Now, since now Tiffany gets word that Abraham is targeting her, so of course she is like, well, I'm obviously going to target him. So she tries to get the votes to sway toward him. So the talk of the tribe turns to, do we vote out a strong player or keep the tribe strong? What do we do? 
Abraham does indeed get the blind side in this one and is the first person voted out of Survivor 41. I really thought this was going to be Tiffany. I really thought with the edit, I thought they had done a big like kind of build to her getting voted out. And one thing that you do a lot of times as well with the edit is especially especially on Survivor is you kind of watch like for character building a lot of times to where you kind of look and be like, well, are they really going to vote this person out? Because we haven't learned anything about this person. Whereas this person over here, we've learned a lot about them already in this episode. So are they building it to where here's a lot of like character development for this particular uh, castaway. And that makes us to where we build up to the possibility of them being voted out. Sometimes that's something that plays out. I didn't really feel like it played out a lot here because I really thought Tiffany was going to go home and Abraham would stay, but that's not what ended up happening. Now with the Ua tribe, this was a mess. <laughs> this was a mess. So back at camp, the talk is who to vote for. Ricard was wanting to target JD is JD is just he just seemed to bother Ricard from the beginning and I think there's some others in the tribe that he's kind of rubbed a little wrong I don't know I don't know if it's just his energy or what it is but and the tribe seemed open to voting him out but some were wanting to go after Sarah again because of the puzzle thing and you know it's it's a back and forth deal there. Now, this, <laughs> we then get to an awkward thing where the group is, there's a group of them standing together trying to, to decide who to vote for. And Sarah and Shan are there. And I can't remember who else was standing there as well. There was like a group of like four of them, maybe. Brad walks by. And they're like, oh, perfect, you're here, come here, come here. We, we want to talk to you and ask what you're thinking. What do you think with this vote? He says, I'm thinking about Sarah or, Shan, Sarah or Shan, who are standing right there beside him. Not, not hidden, they're not off to the side, nothing. Sarah is literally standing right next to him. And he's like, I'm thinking about voting Sarah or Shan. And Shan's on the other side of him. Holy cow, when that happened, I said, why would you not just say forget this and vote out Brad? Why would you not just say forget this? Let's just flip all this and just vote him out. If Because now we know exactly where he's going to target and all of them could compare notes and say, well, let's just forget this. Let's just get rid of him. So you have the numbers to do it, obviously. Now we get to a tribal council that turns into a live tribal to where it gets out of hand quickly when Sarah sees that she's in trouble and she starts talking to the ones next to her trying to see what they are going to do with a vote. And then it feels like the target might be moving to Brad to where they're discussing maybe we ought to vote him out. JD is talking on the other side as all this commotion of discussion is going on on the other side of him, and Jeff says, are you kind of nervous right now, JD? He's like, yeah, I really kind of am. I'm not really sure what's going on over here on the other side. So he gets up, and he walks over there, 
and everybody's talking and trying to figure out who to vote for and, you know, what to do. And the only one that does not seem to be getting up and getting involved in the vote talk is Brad, who is just sitting there. And he's talking to Jeff and all this. It's like sitting in the middle of like, you know, Armageddon. And you're just <laughs> you're just like sitting there as Armageddon's going on around you. And you're just sitting there like oblivious. Like, it's fine. Everything's fine. And so I'm thinking he's done. He's getting voted out. And who could blame them, you know, after what he'd done earlier? Because that was a silly move to just out who you're going to... Yeah, I'm thinking about voting them out. This person here on one side of me and this person over here on the other side. Yeah, I'm thinking about voting them out. It's between those two. So there's a lot of discussion here. And it's so much stress and panic that every one of them, I think, is thinking about maybe we need to play our die here. <laughs> because I'm not sure anybody's safe. And no one did. And Sarah actually asked Shan straight up, like, should I play my die? And she's like, no, no, you're good. You're good. We're, we're, we've got the vote. Everything's good. She wasn't good. And Sarah gets voted out on a kind of a, I'd say, it wasn't a blindside going in, but the way that the tribal council, with it being a live tribal, made it look like a blind side because I thought the vote was going to go, I thought it was going toward Brad the way it was playing out. And I don't know. It was, it was hard to follow though, too, to figure out what the reasoning was on why people were trying to switch votes and why this was the target and why it was, it was a lot to follow. And they were putting up subtitles on the screen to where we could figure out, you know, the conversation and everything. So didn't I was bummed to see Sarah go because I like Sarah. She was one of my favorites. As far as my early favorites so far, I mean, we're really far in. I really like JD. I really like Sarah. I really like Shan. I like Xander. That's kind of the four that have kind of pulled me in so far that I like. And it was just a very good premiere. It was, there's a lot of twist. A lot of twists, and I'm not sure I was crazy about all the twists because it was just a lot. It was a lot, and it was a lot to follow that just felt very, like, shoved into the premiere. Where it was like, okay, here's a twist. Here's another twist. Here's another twist. But, I don't know. It's, and I know they're wanting to shake the game up, and they're wanting it to go faster. But overall, I thought this was a very good premiere. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. I like this cast. They gave off a very good first impression. The game with it going as fast as it is with it only being 26 days has put everybody into a mode of we got to get moving. We got to play. We got to play hard. We got to make our alliances. All these things. So it's making everybody like have to hit the ground running. There's no like settling in. It's like you got to go <laughs> because this thing is going to move fast. And I don't know how many people we're going to lose to being voted out on a weekly basis here with these episodes. You know, are we just going to have one? Are we going to have two? I, I don't know. I don't know. That's something we're going to have to keep up with to see how it plays out. But yeah, big thumbs up. Just so pumped to have Survivor back. It feels like ages since Winners at War ended. So it was just awesome to have Survivor 41 back. You could just tell 
the energy was so good there with Jeff. You could just tell how excited Jeff was, how excited the cast was. There were some on the cast that had talked about that they had waited to play, like that they got cast and then it got shut down. So they've been waiting to still be able to play and hope to be able to play for whenever the next season did come along because they'd been picked and then everything got shut down to where they didn't get to do it. So they were hoping to still be able to play. So it's, yeah, it, it was just a very positive thing. And you can tell the Survivor community online, especially on Twitter, everybody was so excited to have Survivor back. There was just such an exciting energy in the air yesterday, all day, with everyone being excited, whether it's fans, Survivor alum, Jeff Probst, just everybody was so excited. I was as well. And the Survivor 41 premiere, big thumbs up. I enjoyed it. So we'll see what happens next week as we move further along into Survivor 41. Last night on ABC, the reboot of The Wonder Years premiered. And I checked out the pilot episode. I was very interested to see what this new reboot would be like. Of course, I guess it's been about a year or so since the news came out that they were going to reboot this and that Fred Savage was going to be involved as an executive producer and that this was going to happen. You know, I, So I thought, you know, I'm definitely going to have to check this out because I was a huge fan of the original show that aired, premiered back in 1988 and ran for, I forget how many seasons that show ran on uh, ABC. Just such a great show. Of course, it was set back in 1968 was when the show, the time frame of when the show's story picked up. Of course, the show aired in 1988. But so this show here picks up as well in 1968 and there was a lot of a little like subtle references to the original and then it's like they would like lead you down and I loved how they did this they would lead you down the path to where you're thinking okay well it's just gonna be just like the original it's gonna be like this is the character and then they go nope just kidding and we're gonna go this direction I really like that a lot that like, there were subtle references to the original series and also to the original pilot. There was a lot of little subtle things in this to where there's little things that tie to the original pilot, but yet they go a different direction with it. And that was just very, very cool. So, basic premise of this is this follows a black family in 1968... Again, it lands in the same year, and this is going to follow like the summer of the race riots that had broken broken out. So this show, it's described as a dramedy, which, you know, the original was too. That really, that was the perfect description of the original as well. So it's going to follow Dean. Dean is going to be your Kevin Arnold of this current reboot of The Wonder Years, Dean is 12 years old. He's part of the Williams family. And just like the original, it's going to be narrated by his older self. So Dean is going to be 
like the narrator, and we're going to be getting the story of this reboot through his perspective, just like we did with the original with Kevin Arnold. So Dean, basically, I'm going to give spoilers here. I'm not going to go in massive detail on spoilers, but I'm going to go into spoilers. So if you want to watch this without knowing a lot of details, you probably want to quit listening now, because I'm going to go into the happenings of this episode, but not go just super in-depth. So basically, Dean's character, he's the youngest of the family, which, just like the original, you know, it was the same way with Kevin Arnold. He was the youngest, and he was often trying to find his way in that family because he was the youngest one. Same here with Dean, where we see, like, you know, the one scene where he's looking around in the living room, and he's seeing, like, the success of his sister, the success of his brother, the success of his parents. And he's feeling very much in the shadows. Like, he, you can tell that he's trying to figure out where he fits, where he belongs. And he doesn't quite fill up to par, you know, with, with like, his siblings and his parents both. So we get the story set up here as far as the school itself that Dean attends. He attends with his best friend, Corey, and they set up the story that, you know, the schools are now being integrated. So we see the all-black school that Dean had come from, and Dean and Corey both had come from, and along with the neighborhood kids there, to where they're now being integrated over into Jefferson Davis School and they're blending in there. And we see it's it's so interesting because they, they really do a good job of like referencing the times here to where we see Dean and Corey roam into the hallway and then they have here comes this kid up named Brad. He's white. And he comes up there, and they're all talking, and it's just completely normal. And they're just all having this great conversation. In the background, we see a boy and a girl walk up, and they're white. And we see Corey and Dean to where they're using the water fountain. And as they walk up, they see that they're using a water fountain, and they turn around and walk back. And they walk away and go to find another water fountain. Which is, that was the times. And it's like, as I've watched that, you know, as somebody that grew up in the 80s and 90s, like myself, it's just mind-blowing to think that that's the way that was. Because it's like, I don't have any, like, that's not what I grew up with, you know, to where it's just mind-blowing that that's what was going on in that era. So anytime I watch that stuff, it's just like, wow, it just, it just hits you in the face to where you just can't believe that that's what was going on. So this show really does a good job of showing to where it's like two different things here to where you've got this group of friends, this trio to where they're talking and they're completely normal and they're just like, like skin color is not seen here you know it's like and then you've got 
two white kids that come up and they're like, mm -mm, no, and they walk off and go a different direction and go to find another water fountain. So one thing that we get to see here is that Dean is wanting to organize a baseball game. Dean's a big fan of baseball. He loves playing baseball and he loves playing with his friend Brad. And so Dean wants to... Brad plays on an all-white team and Dean plays on an all-black team. So he wants to organize. He's like, well, why can't we play a baseball game together? And so when Dean pitches it, of course, Dean and Brad are like, let's do this. Yeah, this will be awesome. So when they start talking to the adults about it, it's like Dean with his coach and then with his parents too, they're seeing it from the adult point of view to where this could be a harmful thing if we play an all-white team. And to whereas Dean sees it as, he's just like, we all, why can't we just play a game together? We all go to the same school. We should be able to play each other. So he battles to get the game, and he gets the game, and the game happens. And then, of course, we kind of derail a little bit because we have this big moment, and he's really proud, and he also got his dad to show up. And then his dad ends up battling. I guess I am going to go pretty in-depth in spoilers here, so hope you're not wanting to be spoiled. Um, so Dean's dad and the coach basically start battling battling it out, trying to coach Dean on how to play, where it's like, step, step up in there. Nope, step back. You need to step back. No, step in. Get your shoulders up. Swing. Swing this way. No, you need to swing that way. And they battle through the whole thing. And it gets to the point in the game to where the coach and Dean's dad are arguing. And so Dean's mom comes out there and she's like, you need to quit. Y'all need to quit arguing. She's like, y'all can't be out here arguing like this. So as this is going on, uh, this white couple walks up and with their head down and they're just like, uh, you know, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, we just wanted to come up and apologize. And they're like, apologize for what? It's like, oh, well, we we're sorry. We, we just saw y'all arguing. We just figured that you had just heard the news that had come across. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they say, well, we just heard that Martin Luther King just got shot. And they're like, What? You know, and it's, it, um, so basically from there we get like the real, like the real time reaction of this family and to the reaction of the news that he'd been shot followed by the news that he didn't make it and then he'd indeed been, been assassinated. So we're getting the reaction of that to the family where they're all sitting around the TV and of course they roll in the news footage, the real deal news footage from the time and they put it up on the TV and all that. And it really reminded me of like American Dreams. This was a show that I just loved. It aired around 2000, 2005-ish kind of around an air it aired on NBC and it was also set in the 60s in that time frame and it it revolved around American Bandstand a lot and I just I loved that show so much it just oh, it's one of my favorite shows of all time but in the pilot episode of it 
they had everything going on with the show, but they also had a big history moment of like, where were you when, when they get the news that, that Kennedy had been assassinated and we see like the live reaction of that family to where now we've got the Wonder Years reboot here and it's another one of those where were you moments and around this black family that this completely changes their world to where it's their reaction to Martin Luther King. And they also reference Vietnam in this quite a bit. They, re- they reference it to where you can tell there's going to be some Vietnam kind of stuff going on here too where they're going to revolve around that war. And in the original show, we find out in the pilot episode that Winnie's brother had been killed while being in service over in the Vietnam War. So that was another one of like the original show tied to something so big that was going on in history at that time. And then that's what we're getting out of the new Wonder Years with something so big and just catastrophic with the Martin Luther King news that we're seeing it from the perspective of this black family. And it was just super powerful with how they did it. And just, yeah, it was it was very, very powerful. And of course, the episode ends with something that really was a throwback to the original. I'm going to set this up first because, of course, we see Dean on the school bus. And this is where we're, we're rolling with, like, the throwbacks to the original series. Because he gets on the bus and he's, like, He's talking about he doesn't really have a lot of friends or whatever, but he has this one friend, and it's Corey, and he sits next to Corey, and they're talking, and my first thought was, there's Paul. (laughs) It's like, here's Kevin and Paul. So I was like, this is going to be the Paul of the new Wonder Years here for, for the new Kevin of Dean. And then on the bus walks this girl, and I'm like, well, here's Winnie. Here's the new Winnie. And he's like, this is Lisa Jones. And then I love how they how they flip it a different direction because you're just like, yep. My first thought was, yep, here's Winnie. He's like, yeah, she's great. And everybody loves her. But this is my crush. This is Kisa. And I was like, oh, okay, this is Winnie. This is going to be Winnie. And there's a lot of good stuff with them, like on the bus here. It was just a good thing. And then there was a moment like in the back of the bus where she's, getting picked on and he's just like, this might be my moment. I could step up and go help her and this could be my way in. And then about that time, she's got things under control. She's got the guy in a headlock. (laughs) She's like, you're going to say you're sorry. So that was pretty funny. But one thing we get with this, and of course, if you remember in the first episode of the original Uh, I was talking about Winnie's brother, where they find out that he had been killed in Vietnam. And, of course, Kevin had a huge crush on Winnie. And at the end of the episode, he ends up with Winnie sitting, sitting out there, like, in the dark. And, you know, where he's comforting her and everything. And then they end up kissing. And so what ends up happening in this, with the reboot, is... 
you know, after the Martin Luther King news gets out and they see, you know, we see all that in the living room and everything. And Dean takes off on his bicycle just to get out for a little bit. And he roams off and he sees her and she's sitting on a swing, but she's sitting on a swing with his best friend, Corey, and they're kissing. And I was like, oh, so it was like it was a throwback to the original to where it ended with her kissing, but it wasn't kissing Dean like the original had with Winnie kissing Kevin. So it was like it was there. It was like they they threw that right there at the end of the pilot with a reference back to the original show, but they sent it another direction, and I like that. So, because, that, and like I said, there were several things in this episode to where I thought, okay, this is what they're going to do. And then they'd go a different direction to where they make you think, okay, that we're going to just follow the path of the original. Because that's what a lot of reboots do. They just follow the path of the original. So I like that they would drop these little things in there and then they'd send it another way. So that was very cool. Now, there was some pretty good comedy in this with the... There's, we have the bully, which, uh, of course, Kevin always got bullied by Wayne, his brother in the original, but what is going to be happening in this one is he's got a, he's got a school classmate bully whose name, I think it was Michael Sims was his name, if I remember right, and he's just like this bigger looking kid. He, uh, he and that, and they reference that the narration he's talking about because he is he's a big kid and he looks just bigger than everybody else and he had there was a great line that made me laugh that he in the narration where uh, Dean was looking back on this moment and he's just like yeah no one knew how old he was some people had said that he had a son at another school and some said he had already done a tour in nam <laughs> i thought that was a great line i laughed out loud at that line so i'm sure we're going to be getting some things going on with that but i mean as far as like also the vietnam thing is you know, I talked about where Winnie lost her brother in the war. We also see that Dean's older brother, Bruce, is in the war this time around. He's in Vietnam. So we're going to have to see how that goes. Like, where does the story go with him? I really enjoyed this pilot episode of The Wonder Years. I really, I just went into it with just no expectations. I just went into it just kind of fresh. Like, let's just see what happens here. I didn't really, just excited to see it. Just see what, kind of what it was going to be and how it looked. And I knew, you know, Fred Savage was involved. So that made me feel good to know that, especially anytime you get a reboot and somebody from the original series is involved, that just always makes you feel better. So I wanted to see how they would do this. And I just went into it just like, let's just watch this and see how it looks. And I really enjoyed it. It's a show I'm going to keep watching. I would, I would recommend it. Give it a thumbs up and say, check it out and see what you think. I wanted to see what other people were thinking about it too. So I was looking around, I went to uh, tvline.com and they had a poll up uh, rating, you know, what you thought of just like school grades, you know, ABCDF, 
and rate it to see what you thought of the pilot episode. And these are the results that I have as I'm recording this. A for excellent had 51.82%. B above average, 20.8%. C was just okay for 10.58%. D below average, 4.74%. F for a fail, 12.04%. So the majority... So that's uh, about 72% gives it an A or a B. But I think that's a positive that they've got a 72% so far on this poll like it, you know, and that thought to give it an A or a B. So yeah, give it a shot if you want to check it out. It's airing on ABC, so I don't know what streaming service to pop that up on. I don't know if that would be up on Hulu. I think they'd be on Hulu. So check that out. If not, go to ABC's website. Check it out there. I'm sure they've got it streaming on there. But yeah, check it out. See what you think. If you're a fan of the original, even if you didn't watch the original, check out the new version. Just see what you think. Because I, I enjoyed it. Thumbs up for me. And I'm a fan of the original. Like a big time fan of the original. So thumbs up for me on the new reboot of The Wonder Years. A couple of extra TV things to talk about here. If you have been interested in subscribing to HBO Max, but you are... If that price tag is scaring you off, that $14.99 price tag that they have, well, here's an offer for you that is being put out there. They are doing an offer to where you can get six months of HBO Max for a discounted price of $7.49 per month for that six months. This is an offer that's going to run. It's valid from September 17th, 2021 through September 26th, 2021. So as I'm recording this, you have a few more days to take advantage of it. Of course, the offer is only for new and returning HBO Max customers. Offer is valid in the United States only. So if this, and it's for, also for, uh, see, eligible consumers who take advantage of this promotional offer will get access to the HBO Max ad-free monthly plan at a discounted rate of $7.49 per month. I want to make sure to get that in there too, so you know what you're getting into. That is a deal I'm probably going to jump into because... I like HBO Max a lot when I do subscribe to it, where I jump in. Again, I'm one of those people that jumps into a streaming service for a month. You know, something pops on there that I want to see. I subscribe for a month and I get back out. That's what I tend to do. And I just jump around from streaming service to streaming service. And I rarely stay subscribed with one, except for right now with Paramount Plus. I'm with Paramount Plus for a while because of Big Brother live feeds. And now they've actually added Australian Survivor on Paramount Plus. So that may keep me around for a little while longer because I've been wanting to see Australian Survivor. And now I'm going to be able to see like three seasons of it. So that's probably going to keep me. So good job, Paramount Plus. <laughs> but HBO Max... That's something I do enjoy. It's just that $14.99 price tag. That's that's harsh. That's hard to uh to deal with, especially to keep it for a while. Another thing, happy One Tree Hill Day on this day 18 years ago 
on September 23, 2003, One Tree Hill premiered on the WB network and there's been a lot of a lot of One Tree Hill fandom things going on including Drama Queen's podcast they were doing a live thing online to where you could take part in One Tree Hill Day with them and they had some guests it was just very cool and I just love how it's crazy to think that this show premiered 18 years ago it's, I just cannot believe that at all and it's amazing just how the fandom of this show has just kept going on and it's actually gained because you've had a bunch of like new generations of fans that have jumped in and started watching One Tree Hill over the years. And of course, I remember, and I've talked about this on the podcast, so I'm really just repeating all this information when I've talked about One Tree Hill before. But I remember I was working nights at the time, and I was by myself at night. There was rarely anybody around. So the TV was something that really kept me entertained because like there's nobody around to talk to it's the job was like a lot of sitting around so and waiting and just kind of watching so it wasn't there wasn't much to do so it was like the tv was something that was really entertaining for me to have and just a few months before of course i was a huge dawson's creek fan and it had it had ended the spring of that year in 2003 and of course I was going through just the huge mourning period that Dawson's Creek was over and then here comes the talk of One Tree Hill it's shot in the same city of Wilmington it had very similar style to Dawson's Creek as far as the production and then when you watched it the way they blend the music in with the scenes and just there were so many takeaways like of One Tree Hill that was so similar to the things that I loved with Dawson's Creek. So I just rolled right over and I thought, you know, I'm going to check the show out. I'd seen the previews of it. It's like, you know, I'm going to check it out. And I knew some of the cast. I knew Chad Michael Murray, of course. And I knew Hillary Burton. So it's like I knew some of the cast and I watched Paul Johansson, knew him, of course, from 90210. And I think that was the only three I actually knew of at the time that I'd seen previously. So I tuned in that night, watched the pilot episode, and was just hooked. That last scene where they roll into where it's on the river court, you've got the basketball battle out there with the big story that's going to set up the tone of the series. You know, it's going to get the ball rolling, (laughs) literally. And, uh, but when they rolled that song of Rest in Pieces to that scene on the river court, it was just perfection. I loved it so much. And I was hooked after that first episode and then watched it all the way to the end in 2012 when the series finale happened. And it's still my favorite that One Tree Hill series finale is still my favorite series finale of any TV show I've ever watched. It was it was written as a thank you to the fans, and it came across as every bit of that. It was just such a great finale. It made you feel good. It made you feel like all these characters that you had invested in 
since 2003, a lot of them, you know, we've had some new ones join along the way, but you just felt like, okay, they're all going to be okay, you know, and you'd seen their journey and it was just such a perfect finale and I loved it so much. And I love that even now in 2021, like we have the Drama Queens podcasts where we have them going through and watching the episodes and they're bringing on guests and they're watching these episodes with eyes on it to where they haven't seen these episodes. I don't think they, I think they hadn't seen a lot of the episodes when they originally aired. So they're venturing through this and they're getting to see the show in the same way that all of us fans that loved it saw it. And I love hearing their commentary on it to where they're just so like there was one episode where they were watching it and they were emotional talking about it. And they said, we get it. We, we get why this show has such a strong fandom and why, why people love this show so much. And I've been doing the rewatch with them. Again, they're watching week by week. Every podcast episode is about an episode of the show. So they're going week by week. And they're about about at the a little past the midway point of season one. So they're still pretty early on in their watching of it. And I think they actually just got well, I know they did. They just got to like the winter the winter break. So it's uh it's been a lot of fun to rewatch the show and know where the story's going. And like there was one episode that I watched the other day and I knew where it was going and it was so interesting to watch the foreshadowing of the writing to where you could just see it all being laid out to the to build to this big moment at the end of that episode. And I just Still love this show so much. 18 years later, after it premiered, One Tree Hill just still remains so high on my list of all-time shows of my favorites. I would love to go to Wilmington and like tour the area and like see the set locations and stuff like that. Like my nerd self just thinks that would be so fun. I'd love to go to like the conventions you know and things like that that's something that would be so cool because they were doing a lot of reunion conventions of course before the pandemic shut everything down i just love how in 2021 this show just still is rolling and then it's still rolling you know nine years later after it ended you know the fandom is still so strong and we're still getting new one tree hill content because of this podcast of the drama queens with that going on. And it's going to be going for a while. I love that too. So we're going to be able to ride along with them for a while as they continue to watch this. So happy One Tree Hill Day. I had to say something on that because I just love this show so much. And it's still such a such a special part of me and my TV fandom just all these years later, just how much I loved that show. (music) 
So let's get into Big Brother 23. I'm going to make this way shorter because there's just not much to talk about <laughs> as we're at the end of this game and the end game is not very pretty. It's pretty rough <laughs> with uh, everything that's been going on and I just I haven't watched the feeds much just because there's some of like the the talk and like rev like revisionist history that's going on in the house about how things played out and masterminding and I I just I can't <laughs> but let's just get into it I'm not going to go in depth on these episodes I'm just going to hit the main things here and roll right into our final three that we have after tonight's very wild bizarre episode so last week of course we left off with Tiffany and Hannah going out in the double eviction Aza making the move to put up Hannah and get her evicted to where all of us were like, what are you doing? Because she had been told the men are aligned and the women need to stick together because this is going to be a problem. And they had told her they're going to take us out one by one by one. That's what happened. <laughs> it's like they take out Tiffany. They take out Hannah. It's like, Aza, you got to do something here. You're outnumbered. So we get to... The moment to where she's mad when uh, Kylan ends up using the veto on Xavier to keep him in the game is she said nobody had told her that that was coming. Like all season we've been cluing each other in on when the veto was going to be used and nobody told me this. And she's seeing now that she's on the outside here. Yeah, <laughs> you were told this again, you know, so... You were told that the girls needed to stick together, and I mean, this is what you got yourself into. You should have kept Hannah. I, I, I don't know. So the HOH competition plays out. It's won by Xavier, and a competition looked very fun. It was like a CSI Vegas-style competition with them, like, looking for evidence. It was just, it looked very fun. Like, that would be a fun competition to do. Now, Xavier starts talking about the nominations, and he is looking to take Kyland out of this game. He's going to take the shot. And remember that him and Kyland have aligned as a final two to where Kyland decided for some crazy reason that, I think it was an ego reason, that it was an ego reason, that he... People were telling him, you can't beat Xavier in the end. And Kylan's like, oh yeah? Well, watch me. I'm going to take the best to the end and I'm going to beat him. Just watch this happen. I'm going to do this. And this made him align with Xavier, despite the fact that he had had so many chances to take Xavier out of this game. And he didn't do it, including him using the veto on him last week to pull him off the block, which was just crazy. It's like you take out the strong players. That's how you win the game. You you don't want to go up against people that could beat you in the end. You want to go to the end, but of course he does think he can beat Xavier. So we get to this, and he's Xavier's going to talk to Big D about that he's wanting to do this, and Big D is very wishy-washy, like, oh, okay, because Big D could be the sole vote to evict, so he's going to need to make sure he can get Big D on board with this. So, Xavier's nominations are going to be Aza and Kylan, but this really means nothing because this all comes down to the veto. The veto holder is going to have the control here of what happens with the end here. 
and the veto is going to decide who goes home this week. So the veto competition happens. It's won by Xavier. So that seals Xavier to where he's going to be able to do really whatever he wants to do here. So Kyland is going to start to feel nervous after this, and he's beating himself up over not winning. And he talks to Xavier, feeling out, like trying to get some reassurance on this veto decision, and Xavier's really not giving it to him. So, And Kylan does pick up on this, that something's kind of off, because Xavier's just not giving him anything that he wanted. He's like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Well, can we talk about it now? I don't really want to talk about it now. I just kind of want to chill out for the day. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Okay, so he could totally like feel something was off here, but he's pretty solid in, you know, he feels like he's got a good solid two here. And he's also like, well, I saved Xavier. So Xavier's going to take care of me because I took care of him. Again, Kylan made a terrible game move taking out or not taking out Xavier. And now he's going to pay for it. So, and again, we have Big D. Big D has been wishy-washy all week to where every time they talk about it, it's like, well, okay, well, you'd be the vote to evict. Now, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull Ozza off the block, put you up, and then I'll have Ozza take the shot. And of course, Ozza's like, I'll do it. I've been ready to take Kylan out for weeks. Like, I will gladly send him home. Like, pull me off and I will take the shot. I'll take him out of this game. So, but also we have Big D. It's, it's frustrating listening to Big D. Anytime Big D is on the live feeds, I switch to something else. Anytime Kylan is on the live feeds, I switch to something else. When they're on opposite feeds, I turn the feeds off <laughs> because I have no option to go anywhere else. But Big D, all week, he's talking about, he's like complete revision of this game of, how he's controlled the game, and he's been the mastermind. And, of course, he's always been talking about that he he's the one that formed the cookout, and he led the cookout. Big D hasn't done anything. Big D's game has been that he has laid on that daybed for the whole game. He sleeps. He complains. He hasn't done anything in this game. And the one time here in this game to where he has a move to make with this vote, he's complained all week, like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I, and it's, so even when he has a game move to make, he's complaining about this, that he doesn't want to do it. So they really sway around trying to figure out what to do here on whether Big D will do what they need him to do. And of course, Kyland is getting on people's nerves so much, including Big D, that it gets to the point where Big D on the live feeds to the cameras is just like, I can't wait to take take Kylan out of this game. I'm so sick of him and <laughs> and the way he talks. And and we've also had arguments between Ozza and Big D where Big D is talking about how he's carried Ozza to this point in the game and it's like he hasn't carried anybody he hasn't carried anybody he hasn't carried himself <laughs> he has done nothing it's like uh this guy this guy we get as far as tonight into the episode before we get to the eviction we get jury segments 
and we see Tiffany arrive, and she confirms to the jury about the cookout. They already knew. They had figured this out. They had been told in her goodbye messages. They knew that there was a group of six. Claire had told what was going on. They know, and now Tiffany shows up, and she confirms it, including giving them the name of what the alliance was, which is the cookout. And, of course, they're all just like, you know, great respect that you pulled that off but she also tells them her what her master plan was that her plan was on how to pull this off was with the duos and of course they're all like oh that makes complete sense the duos this was you this was your plan okay and she's saying the duo plan was anytime we had to take a shot at somebody's duo person that the other, the, whoever in our alliance and the cookout was in it would have to go up next to them. She's like, anytime Derek X, Derek X was up there, uh, Hannah had to be up next to him. Anytime Claire was up, I had to go up next, next to her. Anytime Alyssa went up, Xavier had to go up and so on and so on and so on. And they're all just like reacting so huge. Like, oh my goodness, that's so brilliant. That was such a great move. And I love that Tiffany is getting her due here for what she put together with the cookout and how far she got them in this game. Because in the house, they're not giving her anything on her due of what she has done in this game. They all think she had nothing to do with it. And Big D's claiming that it was all him. So I love that Tiffany has shown up in the jury and she's getting the respect from them of just like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And one thing Tiffany talks about, she said, you know, we did this, but we, we agonized over this. Like we shed so many tears because we were giving up our personal games and things that we would rather do for our own self and for the people that we love that we were aligned with, our duo people. We agonized and we shed so many tears because of what we were having to do to you and get you voted out. And it just hurt us so badly. And that is true. They have, on the live feeds, we have seen it so many times to where they're just so sad at what they have to do to, you know, to their duos and leaving them just clueless and just blindsiding them in a lot of, a lot of times, you know, including what happened to Claire. So Hannah arrives next. She's next to arrive at the jury. And of course, they're sad to see her and surprised to hear that Ozza flipped on her. So that could hurt Ozza if she does get to the final. That could hurt her with the jury because there was a lot of like, what was she thinking kind of thing going on. And we also see Sarah Beth here talking about the un- quote unquote unnecessary lies that Kai used on her to further himself in the game. So this is something that she has talked about for weeks. She has used that term of unnecessary lies for weeks that we have seen. And so this is a storm that's going to be awaiting Kai because she's saying there's a lot of things and a lot of lies that he used on me that had nothing to do with the game and had nothing to move him ahead in the game. And she's not happy about it. So that's going to be something to follow. And I'm curious to know what all she is upset about, which we may not find out until finale night or most likely until we get into the post game 
stuff where we start seeing them doing interviews and things like that. So veto ceremony happens. Xavier does not use the veto. That leaves Big D as the lone vote to evict. And there was no question here unless Big D just wavered or something, but Big D did evict Kylan. Kylan gave him a look of, really? You know, so, and they did blindside him. He did not know that he was going to be evicted. And the reason was that basically, especially Xavier said this, they didn't want to put up with Kylan. They didn't want him to get word that he was going to be evicted because they were going to have to put up with his talking nonsense for all the way up until the eviction. And they didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to have to listen to him for days or hours or whatever it would be. So they decided we're not going to tell him. And they did mention at one point about maybe telling him like right before if there was a little break in the show and giving him a little heads up, but there wasn't any time there to do that. So Kylan gets evicted and it's ugly as uh, he gets up and he says something about Xavier, about, you know, the game or whatever. And it gets really uncomfortable here when, you know, and Xavier's just like, it's just a game. It's just a game, man. It's, uh, it's just a game. And Kylan starts getting personal where he's just like, what about your nephew? You think your nephew would be proud of how you handled this about, about the way you're, uh, you think he'd have any respect for you? And Xavier's like, don't talk about my nephew. Like just, and he's like, you think you think he'd be proud? And he just keeps egging him on about his nephew. Now remember, Xavier, uh, Xavier lost his brother. His like, you know, just not long before coming into Big Brother. So this nephew that he is talking about, I'm assuming is his brother's son here, unless he's got more siblings. So he's Kylan's getting personal here, and Xavier's not having it. And Xavier again says. Stop talking about my nephew. Get your nephew's name out of your mouth. And Xavier's, you can see he's hes uh, clenching up. You know, he's, he's not happy. And so Julie Chen starts coming over the speaker like, Kylan, need you to evict, need you to leave the house right now. You have been evicted. I need you to leave right now, Kylan. I need you to leave. And I'm watching this thinking, Xavier may, like, throw him out this door here in a second. It was super uncomfortable, and Kylan ends up leaving. But holy cow, it was just, just classless. I mean, and I can't, I can't say I'm surprised, just based on things I've seen on Kylan in this game, and Man, it I really thought I was like Xavier may throw him through this door and throw him out of this house if he doesn't stop. And as this is exactly why they didn't tell him ahead of time because they would have had to listen to this for a while and it might have gotten ugly because it got pretty ugly in that span of about 30 seconds. So of course he uh he leaves the house, gets interviewed by Julie, and he's pitching that he's he pitches to Julie about how he'd love to come back and play again. It's like, no, buddy. <laughs> and he's actually kind of pitched this in the house, even on the live feeds. He's talked about how he would I think at one point he even talked about how 
he would love to get to the end and not win and then come back and win. I think I've heard him even say that at one point. And he's like, I want to be Cody or something along those lines. And uh, I'm, I'm glad Colin's out of this house. So that gets us to the final three. We have a final three of Xavier, Big D, and Aza. We get the announcement of that the prize money for America's favorite player is going to be doubled this year. It's going to be a $50,000 prize for America's favorite player. Go to CBS.com. They are doing text messaging for how you vote for America's favorite player. I feel like, and then go to CBS.com. You can get all your information there on how you can vote. I feel like this will be either... I feel like... I've always felt it was going to be Derek X that wins America's favorite but I feel like Tiffany could make a run here because I feel like there's such a big push from fans that want Tiffany to get get a prize here for everything that she did in this game and accomplished. And because she did all this and then she was evicted out of that group first. And, and then they're not giving her the credit that she deserves. And I feel like there's a big push online among fans to where Tiffany could very possibly win America's Favorite Player. I really thought it was going to be Derek X, just hands down. I love Derek X. I really think I really think he has probably the biggest chance to win. But I think it's between those two. I think it's Tiffany or Derek X. I would love it, either one of them. I would love that. As far as the winner of this game... Here's how it's going to play out. I mean, for my opinion, Xavier beats Aza. He beats Big D. Big D can't beat anybody. If Aza goes up against Big D in a final two, Aza wins. So it will definitely be either an Xavier win or an Aza win for Big Brother 23 as the finale night next Wednesday night on CBS two-hour finale. We'll see who wins America's Favorite Player. And who wins the big prize for Big Brother 23? That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. God bless. And I hope you have a great week.